Okay, so if you open up to the, the epistle to the Hebrews, let's pray. Father, as we look into this wow book, I mean, colossal book, we look for a colossal blessing. But I always appeal to you, way beyond my ability to communicate, the Spirit of God is given deep, calleth unto deep. You can speak to the innermost parts of our being, way beyond my words. You can build bridges and, and make connections. And I pray and I trust that you will change us, Lord, through this experience, the preaching of your word, and be glorified in the, pre in the whole uh, preaching, teaching. Uh, be glorified through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath, inherit, he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We'll stop. We'll consider this portion. This is all we'll get to today. and You'll say, now you're lazy. You're just four verses. That's all you got. Oh, listen, there's so much here. There's so much here. Um, this is why I think it's going to take longer than normal. Um, I can skip and just kind of hit a highlight here and stuff like this, but I think we'll miss the blessing, and I really want to... I don't know if we're like under the gun on this, you know, 20 verses a week, or you know, I, I get fired and they bring in another guy. I, I, I don't know how it works, but I mean, like, we've been like one time you know, on a, one verse and stuff. Sometimes there's just a lot there, okay? And I think this is one of those times. But let me get with it or I'm going to lose all my hour. Um, so it's written by the Apostle Paul, right? Well, a lot of people think so. The majority of people think so. I kind of think so. And I might slip and say, well, so Paul's telling us here, but I will tell you this, we don't know. You know how all the epistles of Paul start with Paul? an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to Titus, to Timothy, to Philemon, to the church, churches at Galatia. None of that here. We don't have that at all. Why? I don't know why. I can guess maybe Paul's writing it. He doesn't want to be a detraction from the people he's writing it to. Maybe uh, if he says that, it's going to be a negative thing. So I was watching a lot of YouTube videos, and I was watching some by these Presbyterian people, coat and tie, like serious scholarship and stuff. And I respect that. Not the coat and tie part, I mean the, uh, the, the serious scholarship part. And if you wear a coat and tie, I'm not against it, I'm just not... You, you say, well, we saw you in a coat and tie in the last few days. That's the rumor. I don't think anyone's got photographic evidence, so... Uh, hey, uh, I, know, I know sometimes things are serious and you should, uh, you know, dress up. For, I, I know how to, you know, appear to people when we're just casual around here. And I appreciate that so much. I love the fact that I don't have to wear a tie when I, when I teach the Bible. I mean, I really appreciate that. And you guys like it too. It seemed like, uh, you know, we're summer and we got sandals on and, you know, and we come in here and all and, and none of our finery and 
And you look swell, by the way. It's just great. And you, you, you're casual, and you still look great. I don't know how you pull it off. But anyway, uh, so here we are. And uh, so I'm listening to these guys, the coat and tie guys, the scholars. The guys, the guys got more degrees than Fahrenheit. And they decimated, they decimated the argument that Paul wrote it. Because they talk about uh, Timothy being in jail, and he didn't notice that or say that. So it was after he had already died, and he died in this year, and Timothy was probably in jail at this time. And some people use the, the reference to Timothy as we know this has been written by Paul because he referred to Timothy. Well, we don't know that Paul wrote it. A lot of people knew Timothy. That doesn't mean that Paul wrote it. So I, I, listen, I've heard all the arguments. People come to me, I, good friends of mine, pastor friends of mine, Calvary Chapel pastor friends of mine will say, listen, Paul wrote it, and I love you, God bless you, you're my bestest uh, friend in the whole wide world, and I don't agree that you know that. We just, we just can't know it. And they will give me the stuff like, well, you know, in the New Testament, you run into this verse, the just shall live by faith and you run into it in Romans, and you run into Galatians, and you run into Hebrews. So if Paul wrote it in Romans, and Paul wrote it in Galatians, then Paul wrote it in Hebrews. That's what you got. I'm like, really? That comes from, where does, where does the, the, the phrase, the just shall live by faith, come from? Is it Habakkuk or Hosea? I think it's Habakkuk. So Habakkuk must have wrote all three of them. Don't go by that. The Spirit of God wrote the whole book. Uh, and so, so you see... Uh, I will tell you it was a rabbinic Jew who wrote it. He's writing it to Hebrews who are under severe persecution is starting up and a lot of them are turning back. And the reason I think this is such a benefit because, hello, welcome to our life. How many of you people, when you came to Jesus Christ, it caused consternation in your family and among your friends? And was there ever, a, did anyone ever say, hey, come on back, come on back. What do you think you're doing? And the, was there ever any hostility? Was there ever any uh, persecution? Is there still? And I, I know a lot of people who were with us. And I don't mean us here. I mean us, Christianity, and have left because the the pressure. And Paul's writing to them, and he's warning them. And there's five warnings here throughout the book. And they kind of dovetail nicely, and they build on each other. And they're some of the hardest verses in the New Testament. I don't think so, because you've got to remember, you remember uh, who's, what, the, what the ministry's all about, what, who's being written to for what reason. And, and it's, it, it kind of, it'll, it'll sort a lot of itself out. There's some verses here that are kind of tough. People really have a problem with Hebrews. And you know why they have a problem with Hebrews? The same reason they have a problem with the book of the Revelation. Because there's so many allusions to the Old Testament, and some of us don't know our Old Testament. That's how it, that's how it works. And so they're like, what is that? Melchizedek, what? High priest, what? And they don't know, they don't understand. And um, we'll go back and we'll look at some of these things, not all the time, because we would be in the Old Testament going through Hebrews more than we'd be in the New Testament. It would be, uh, well, it would dramatically slow it down. Some of these things we'll go and we'll refer to them, we'll look at them. Some of them we'll just... We'll just use the illusion and we'll keep going. Okay, so who wrote it? We don't know. I may slip a couple times and say, Paul, I will try to say this awkward phrase, the author of the book of Hebrews, because I'm just trying to keep it real. Okay, I don't know. I kind of suspect Paul. Um, it, it, there's things I see that are kind of similarities to him. So anyway, the big argument is, is, is no, it was written by Barnabas. No, it was written by Apollos. Uh, one German uh, theologian said it was written by uh, Priscilla, of, you know, Priscilla and Aquila fame. It was not. He 
You say, what, Adam, you have a problem with women writing books of the Bible? I don't. I don't. You know me. I don't. But when the author here in in the 11th chapter, when he starts saying, uh, he uses personal pronouns about himself, he uses them in the masculine. Okay? And back then, there was no gender dysphoria in the Bible. If somebody said, use masculine pronouns because a man was writing it. So we can rule out Priscilla. You, want, you think uh, Apollos or Barnabas or Paul or some other guy who we never heard of wrote it? Some say Luke. Uh, God bless you. Join the debate. We don't know. And I can live with that. I think some people, the reason that it's such a problem is because they just can't live with the fact that they don't know who wrote a New Testament book. But it's all Bible. You don't know who wrote First and Second Samuel. I mean, you don't. Say, well, Samuel wrote it. Second Samuel takes place after Samuel dies. He wrote it all, what was going to happen, and it all rolled out. That is a prophet. That's pretty good. And I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm just saying we don't, there's a lot of Bible books we don't know. And it's okay. Listen, it's all the Word of God. Okay, whether we know the author or whether we don't. So, let's move on. God, let's stop. <laughs> hey, a great start for a book. God. You know, the Bible doesn't defend God, defend his being. You know how the Bible starts out? In the beginning, God. And then it goes on to talk about his creativity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the first verse in the Bible, right? It presupposes that he exists. There's no argumentation. I like the argumentation. I like philosophy. I like theology. I like those... You know, you've heard the, uh, these different, you know, ontological arguments, and, and then there's, you know, the argument from this and that, and, they, and, you know, people fight and fuss about this, and there's like 20 different major arguments on the existence of God. I come down on the side that God exists. Why? Here's where I'm going to psych you out. Because of personal experience. You say, well, listen, can I ask you a question? How many of you have felt like you've had a God experience? We've actually experienced the presence of God. You spoke to something like this. Okay, now, if we have an atheist here, he will look at those hands and say, it's subjective. You could all be delusional. You could all be crazy. <laughs> That's a given, by the way, it's Calvary Chapel. We're all wing nuts. We get it, Okay. Just because I felt that God spoke to me, does that mean anything? Well, it means I felt like God spoke to me. I, I always believed in God. I don't, I don't know, okay? I can't, I can't prove, but I know that I know that I know that I know. I can't, I can't make you know, but when someone comes and they start laughing at us and call us rubes and stuff, and say they don't believe in God, all they're saying, listen to me, this is very, very important, all they're saying is they've never had a God experience. That's all they're saying. That's all they're saying. That's all they can say. You can't prove the non-existence of... How, how are you going to get your arms around that one? So they laugh, so they taunt. Because why? Because that's all they got. It's like the guy in front of the judge, you know. He's got three witnesses say they saw him rob the bank. We saw it. Case closed. Open and shut. We saw you rob the bank. But he goes in front of the judge and he says, I can bring 10 witnesses who didn't see me rob the bank. He thinks he's going to win the day. <laughs> That's all you're doing when you're telling me God doesn't exist. All you're saying to me is, I've never experienced God. That's all. That's the whole thing. And I'm saying, I have. It's no threat to me. 
that people don't, haven't experienced God. Because my whole thing is I always say, okay, okay, invite him into your life. God, if you're there, speak to me. By whatever means you want, do that. And I'll say something, I'll look them right now and say, I double dog dare you. And you know what they will do? I, I wouldn't, I won't. Ah, you just told me everything. It always comes down to the will. And this is why people are judged the way they're judged. It all comes down to the will. It always just comes down to the will. Basically, they want to say, if there's a creator, I'm accountable. I don't want to bend the knee. I want to be the captain of my ship. I want to be the master of my own destiny. I want to do what I want to do. And it usually comes down to this, if you drill deep enough. I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with and I don't want anyone telling me any different. You're saying, it doesn't come down to that. Not always, but most often it does. Listen, I've been around, I've been saved since I was 20 years old. I'm coming up on my 60th birthday for 40 years. I've had all the conversations with all the people. And basically it comes down to this. Uh, um, I want to be able to have sex with who I want to be able to have sex with. You're saying, not really. <laughs> have, have the conversation. That's, that's the whole thing. It's not the, any really serious, ob, uh, uh, obvious objection. And then they find something to latch on to. Well, it is God. How come there's so much suffering in the world? Well, I have a reason for that. How come, you know, people are so bad? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's your choice. How come there's so many wars? Well, Stop fighting. <laughs> we, can, we can make it Eden here on earth to a large degree. I mean, we can, there's a lot of things we can do <coughs> to make the world better. Um, you know, we look at and somebody gets, like, killed. Well, if God's God, how come that person could kill? Hey, there's a rule. God said, thou shalt not kill. Somebody broke God's rules. If we follow his rules, you know what? Our world will be better. Our country will be better. Our neighbors will be better. Our marriages will be better. Our friendships will be better. Follow God's rules. It's amazing how uh, that will clear up so many things. Not everything. With a, you know, there was a hurricane here last week. It was a Category 5, and some, a lot of people suffered, and we even had some death. But then there was people who rushed to their aid, who helped out, who try to, and there's, 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 there's bad things happening here in the world, but there's good things happening also. You see some. listen, can you explain this to me? Can you explain this to me? You see somebody offshore, you're on the beach, and somebody's out there in a riptide, and they're, help, help, help. What's the first thing you think of? Rescue them. Even if you can't swim, you look around, where's the lifeguard? Oh my goodness. And now, now you're, you're, you're weighing, well, if, should I go up there? I might get caught in that same tide, but I can't let him drown. I have a question for you. Why do you care? Why do you care? Because, let me tell you the answer, because you're creating the image of God and you know right from wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff happens on the planet because people are wicked, and there's a lot of good stuff that happens on the planet because we're creating the image of God. You know, people have hearts of gold. People help out. People are nice. People are pleasant. People are... I always talk about the negative and stuff like that, and there's a lot of negative to be talked about. We're sinners after all. But I see some beauty. I see some good. I see some people doing some incredible, helpful, benevolent things. And I think, that's God. You don't even have to be a Christian to do nice things. What, what if you're on the beach and you're an atheist? Survival of the fittest. 
I'm surviving. I'm staying right here. Good luck to you. No. You're still thinking a way to, to, to rescue that person. Even as an atheist, you're going to go against your philosophy and put yourself in peril, perhaps, to try to, uh, to rescue someone. Why would you do that? That doesn't speak. You, 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 your survival of the fittest just went out the window. But you're proving my point. You're created in the image of God, and you care even if you say you don't. God. <laughs> okay, I could spend a lot of time there, but we, gotta, we should move on. Who at sundry times and in diver, divers manners. You've got to love King James. At different times in various manners. Spoke. Now there's a God, and God speaks. Now that'll, that'll blow a lot of people's minds. So I never heard him speak. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Were you listening? Do you want him to speak? I tell you, some people, when they, they think that God's going to speak, they run as fast as they possibly can in the opposite direction. He might say something. He's going to affect the outcome of my life, and I like to make my own choices. Thank you very much, God. Stay out. What, what are some of the various manners? What are some of the various ways? He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He spoke to Balaam audibly through the voice of a donkey. Get, rid of, get the, your mind around that one. Uh, he spoke to the prophets. How did he speak to you? He spoke to me earlier this week. I hope I get a chance at the end to share. I, what I, I did at the funeral. I told a little bit about how God spoke to me. It was, it was, it was a rebuke, and it was delightful. Has he ever spoken to me before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Adam, does Napoleon speak to you too? Not yet. I don't suspect that he will, but, but God does. And I would rather have the voice of God in my life than anything else. You say, well, I'll give you a million dollars. I don't want a million dollars. I want God to speak to me. I'll give, you, I'll give you heart's desire. Anything you possibly want, I want God to speak to me. That's what I want. There is nothing, there is nothing like that. So he, he spoke to me, and I, and, and I, I really, oh, such a wonderful thing I'll, I'll tell you about it. So he spoke to us in the past. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He spoke in all these different ways. So God speaks. He has something to say. But in this time, in these last days, and by the way, the last days are from, if you read in 1 John, they're from the time of Jesus Christ until the end. We talk about the last days, eschatological things, end times, you know, we're talking about the tribulation, and we're talking about, you know, the Antichrist and the rapture and the millennial kingdom. Those are eschatological events. That's correct. Biblically speaking, it's been the last days for a lot of days, okay? And here, the author of Hebrews is saying, in these last days, and it's the same phrase the last days. So we're in the last days, and I think we're in the last of the last days, and we looked at that when we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Perilous Times, get the uh, recording and, and go over it. That, I think we're in the last of the last days, but technically we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. He's, and now God, he's spoken all these times, all these different ways, he's spoken to our fathers by the prophets, but these days, these last days, he's spoken to us by son. You see, his is in in italics, because it's not there. He's spoken to us by son. And some say by is better understood in. It makes it sound like son is a language. 
He's spoken to us in his son. Here's what the, the, the writer's trying to tell us. His final revelation is Jesus. Is Jesus what God is telling us? Yes. Jesus is the message. He's not just the messenger of what God wants us to know. He, he's, he's not just bringing God's word. He is God's word. And that's why we see him uh, like in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. He's, what is the Word? I'm using them right now. Why? Because I have something in here, and I'm trying to communicate it to you, and I have to use words. Fair enough? I would do an interpretive dance, right? <laughs> see, if I, see if you could get anything out of that. We'll play charades, okay? I'll wave my arms wildly. I'll send up smoke signals. I'll do anything. If I can communicate to you the word of God, I would, I would do it by whatever means possible. This guy, he did it by writing to, to an author, uh, I mean the author to a, to a church, to a group, to some struggling Hebrew people. Writing is a way to do it. Speaking is another way to do it. But even if you're writing, what are you using? Using words. You can't get around that. Words contain thoughts, and this is how we communicate. So he, God's spoken a lot of times, uh, a lot of different ways in the past. But these last days, the revelation to us, the reveal what God's thinking is Jesus. It's kind of like, okay, I've, I've, I've said the final thing that I can say to you. I've, I've, I don't have any better way to communicate God's saying. Again, Jesus isn't just the messenger. He is the message. He is, and we'll go on and talk about, look, at, he has these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Is that good? Yeah, because we belong to Jesus. <laughs> Are you rich? You have no idea. <laughs> you, have, you say, I'd like some of that now. Uh, in God's time, in God's time, I think he gives us enough now. You know, I, I said this before, I always prayed for a million dollars, and Susan was praying against me. Why? She's smarter. She is. For a lot of reasons. Let's say I got a million dollars. Well, I tithe. You know, that's everyone's argument. Yeah, I would. But when I have all kinds of money and I don't need, I don't have any need to call out to God on a daily basis, my tendency is to not. Sorry, if you think I'm a like, super spiritual guy. My tendency is to not. I need to be in constant distress to have God very handy to me. I've had this painful appendage here can't sleep my prayer life has been enriched it, it has um, usually I sleep all night long I, I, I sleep like a Calvinist I roll over and I just think like if I die before I wake who cares just, just sweet dreams of visions of sugar plums no problem getting to sleep Drink a cup of coffee, roll over, and sleep. No problem. Now all of a sudden I can't sleep. Is my prayer life better? What do, you, what do you do in the middle of the night when you're in pain you can't sleep? I call it God. Sometimes I say, oh, Lord, it's just killing me. And just like, not out loud, because there's other people in the house, in the bed. <laughs> in the, so uh, the other night I was, I was so much, I was tossing and turning. So I, so I went downstairs and I slept on a couch, which is, 
a nice couch to sit on. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a wonder, it's not a comfortable as my bed. And I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying. I need to be like that, because if I was a million dollar guy, I'm just going to like, yeah, see you when I'm getting, when I run out of money, I'll be back, you know. That's who I am. So uh, I, I don't need the money right now. God's the heir, Jesus is the heir of all things. I'm his. I'll get mine. I'll get mine. Don't worry about it. I, I'm not even concerned about that. In the millennial kingdom, does that, is there any su- uh, suffering? Is there any, like, people like, is, is the guy in the median homeless cardboard guy uh you know anything no not in the kingdom age when jesus has it all his age every man under his vine under his fig tree they don't make war no more righteousness is 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 from sea to shining sea everything's going good when jesus has it his way and there's no one starving in the kingdom age is there anyone starving in heaven i have an idea the answer to that is no can you can you imagine somebody in heaven you know with a you know with a blanket and a you know playing a fiddle or something with his fiddle case open, looking for a couple of shekels. Can you imagine such a thing in heaven? I don't think so. He's the last day. He's spoken to uh, us by, his, by in Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, but whom also he made the worlds. Wait a second. Jesus is the creator? Yes. Yes. Ta-da! Is Jesus divine? Yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is Jesus the creator? Yes. But we don't have to, this is one of the many, many verses that tell us that. You know, again, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we know it's Jesus Christ. You know another Word who was made flesh and dwelt among us? Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that he made this whole world, and then he came into the world that he had created. And it talks about Jesus, the um, the Word as the Creator. It says the same thing in Colossians. He's the Creator and the Sustainer of all that there is. Here, we look at uh, Jesus as by whom also He made the worlds. Jesus, uh, Creator, yes. Divine Jesus, yes. You can always tell a cult. They may take Jesus and they make Him less than divine. Who... Now, this is, I love this next section here. This is father bragging up his son sevenfold. It's so natural. It's so natural. Dads, you got sons, you like to brag on them, don't you? Yeah, you know, you want your son to be like MIT scholar, quarterback, throwing the winning touchdown, good guy, good dad, uh, when he gets a promotion, you're all excited. You like to tell everybody. You're always talking about your kids, aren't you? Our Father in Heaven's no no different. Look at look at this. He's bragging up Jesus here, and he says a sevenfold bragging. Who being the brightness of his glory? What can we say? Jesus is glorious. Who else is? Who else is as glorious? No, he's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is, this is, this is, this is kind of like a, okay, he's, a, he's a, a coin that's been stamped, pressed with an image, and it's the exact representation of the person. We, we can look at a coin, it's got, what is, Abraham Lincoln's on a penny, right? And we know, we, we've, we never met Abraham Lincoln, but we've seen photographs, and we look at the penny, we say, oh, that's Abraham Lincoln. We see this, Jesus Christ, and he's stamped with the image of God. So much so that when Jesus says, 
to uh, Philip, Phil, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's the problem here? Can, who else can say that? Who else is the express image of the Father? And I just think that's an incredible statement. I, I, I don't know about you, but what's, what's, what's God like? Entirely like Jesus. Now, some people who were very fuzzy thinkers. We have this God in the Old Testament. He's just crazy, vengeful, ah, and everyone, he's always upset, and he's always, you know, and he's drowning the whole world, and he's always like, he's always this far from just smoking everybody. And then we come in the New Testament, and we see Jesus, kind of like a hippie. And he's got some flowers in his hair, and he's wearing sandals. And he's a Capricorn. And he plays with the children. They love him so much. And he's just so mellow, Jesus. Oh. I was at my sister's funeral. I got some heretic to... I say heretic. I mean heretic. To lay her away. And she, he said, she was... The guy was saying that, you know, we don't know where my sister is. You've got to understand the mercy of God. And hell is very, very, very sparsely populated thinking, my Bible says there's a broad way that leads to destruction. We're the few. We're not the many. The way that goes to heaven, it's a narrow gate. Few enter it. So think of strike one. He says, you've got to understand the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. Now, it's a funeral, so I kind of can't jump up and start shouting heretic and throwing things at him. But I wanted to. I don't want to take him outside and just explain to him a little bit in a very ungentlemanly manner. But that was my flesh, and I didn't think nothing good was going to come of that. So I wanted to go and rebuke him, but for peace's sake, I didn't say anything. Is the God of the Old Testament... And the God of the New Testament, different gods. God finally evolved. He grew up to the point where he's not having a bad hair day all the time. And now he's a little bit nicer. He's, he's like Jesus. Well, I think, one, you, know, you don't understand the God of the Old Testament. He's gracious and good. He's the one who called uh, Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and said, hey, you're going to be mine. See them stars up there? That's your children, Abe. What, did it, what was Abe before that? Uh, idol worshiper in a, a, a pagan nation. God put us in Eden. Hey guys, have fun. Fruit trees, just... I don't want to be too crass. They weren't wearing any clothes, and that was fine, and he's just... Be fruitful, multiply, guys. Just Is there anything missing? Is there anything that God didn't provide? No, God's a God. He's a good God. In the Old Testament, we read about just how gracious and how good. Now there's times when people were disobedient. He had a, like any good father, will have to, you know, lovingly chastise. We see that in both the New and the Old Testament. And then we talk about Jesus like, you know, he's this like flower child, this hippie guy, this kind of really mellow. He's got eyes like a flame of fire in Revelation. The, the, he, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ reveals him as judge. But we can even see he, he has 
hard words for hard hearts, like the Pharisees. He, he calls them hypocrites. Oh, you want to go sell stuff in my father's temple? You want to take this house and you want this house of prayer and turn it into a, a commercial enterprise? Well, let me show you how I feel about that. He's the exact express image of God. Jesus is judge, and God of the Old Testament, who is judge also, is gracious and good. Jesus is exactly represents God. Exactly. And I love the fact that Jesus was tangible, and we can look at his life, and we can see the things that he said, and we're saying, that's how God feels. We see Jesus, how he comes into a situation, and somebody's He's in a synagogue. We got a man with a withered hand. And Jesus, like he gets his Jesus radar going, oh, man with a withered hand. Stand up, sir. Can you stretch for... Who's ever ailing, who's ever hurting, who's ever needs his ministry, he runs to that person. Uh, well, this is a woman at a well. She has questionable... You don't understand, Jesus. She has moral issues here. And he's running to her. Lady... What are you drinking out of this well for? It's never going to satisfy. And he, he, he handles, he ministers to her deepest need. You see how loving, how gracious, how good our God is? You can see it through Jesus Christ, who is the express image of Father God. He didn't come to earth saying, okay, God, you've got to relax. Let me show you how it's done. No, he comes to earth to show us how the Father is. incredible. I, lo I love God. You know why? Because I love Jesus. Because I, I learn about Jesus. And I learn about how gracious and how wonderful and how... Do you understand grace? You don't deserve any of this. And we get... Listen, we're the heir of all things. Why? Because you... God's got payment to pay to you because you've been so awesome all along. Uh, maybe you have. I certainly haven't. And God's just going to pile up all the goodness, all his riches, all his, here you go, son, love you. Hey, thanks, Dad. He's the express, he's the brightness of his glory, he's the express image of his person, uh, upholding all things by the word of his power. Not only did he create everything, he sustains all things. Isn't that incredible? But Colossians tells us the same things. So, you know, we have this guy, uh, this God, in some people's theology, the kind of, yeah, okay, he created, set the whole thing in motion, now he's kind of absent, landlord, uh, he doesn't really interest in us at all, it's, I don't know where you come up with these ideas. He's actively holding all things together. At the end of things, I don't think he will hold all things together. Um, people talk about a big bang, and I agree with you, I just think you have it at the wrong end of creation, you have it at the beginning. <laughs> no, at the end, there's going to be a, a, a big noise. The elements will melt. Okay, I think there's a big bang involved there. Uh, and, and that's where I think all what happens is Jesus says, let's go. Right now, he's upholding all things. He's sustaining all things. He's, he's the express image of his Father, and he's upholding all things. How does he do it? By the word of his power. He's still creative. He's still powerful. He's still in charge. When he had by himself purged our sin, okay, they didn't hear me. Let me try again. When he had by himself purged our sins, amen. How, how did he do that? He started a process. Well, you know, Jesus came to earth to tell us how to be good people, and he was one of the ascended masters, and he understands, you know, the divinity within principle, and he's, uh, stop, you're blathering. Somebody just 
stop that person from talking. You know, he came to earth as a savior to rescue us because we needed salvation. And how did he do it? He purged all by himself our sins from us. He took our sins away. He paid for them on the cross. Unilaterally, he did the whole thing. When Jesus says, it is finished, you know why he said that? Because it is finished. Paid in full. There's nobody, nobody has to do anything more. I think this is so remarkable. When I finally understood this, when I came to the place in my life where I heard the gospel, I'm thinking, wait a second. I tried this religious thing. And I'm working like a dog. And I really was. And I'm trying to do this religion, 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 religion. Maybe if I do enough, if I count on enough rosary beads, if I go to Mass enough, and I do, receive enough sacraments, maybe someday God won't be bugged with me anymore. And it was incredible to find out He wasn't bugged with me at all. He loved me. So much so, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. With the giving of the Son, was that an important thing? Oh, kind of. He... he he, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, how does that work? Because he paid the penalty for our sins. He purged, he cleansed, he took care of. You got a sin problem? I got it. I got this one. Listen, I've, I've said this a thousand times. Men were the leaders of our house, right? Because when things go sideways, we're responsible. You say, well, my wife, what about... It's our house. We're the leaders. We're responsible. And this is what I get, the takeaway from Ephesians 5. We visited here yesterday. We had a wedding here yesterday. Uh, we came in this morning. It looked like we had a wedding here yesterday. Now we're all straightened up. It's good. Uh, it, was, it was good. It was a good wedding. It was fine. It was fun. And I talked to him about Ephesians chapter 5. You say, what are you, crazy? Yeah. I talked about women being submissive and husbands loving. And I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit... Fools rush in where angels fear to tread, right? And I was talking about this is how God set it up. Our marriage is supposed to look like Jesus and his church. Is the bride of Christ submissive to Jesus Christ? Yes. Say, I'm not married to Jesus. Yeah, I know. But he's the, your husband's the Christ figure in the, in the marriage. That's how it works. Um, and and I say this a thousand times. Who sinned? Us or Jesus? Well, we did. Who paid? Jesus did. Who took responsibility? Jesus did. When Adam sinned, who went looking for Adam? God did. Adam, where are you? And I, I would say, he didn't lose them. He's only got two people. You think he couldn't keep track? He could keep track of billions of people on a cellular level. He knows how many hairs you have in your head. You think he lost two people? Adam, where are you? Where are you now in light of what you did when I told you not to do that? How did that work out? This is, this is God moving out to establish, reconnect. To, to, and then we have the proto-evangelicum, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Satan seed and the woman seed. This is what we have here. And this is when God just unilaterally moving out in, in a redemptive way. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. That's how he... So he sends Jesus. Did that cost him anything? He gave us the best he had. He himself purged our sins. And then he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Look, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What is he saying there? He's talking to Jewish believers who are being called to go back to the Judaism. And I think they're making, they, their parents are just like our parents. Right? We, had a, we had a lovely temple here. Hoy vey. 
What are you doing? We got priests, we got sacrifices, we got the showbread we have. What are you going to do for Passover? You're not going to attend Passover this year? What's going on here? You think all this stuff is for nothing? And you think like, um, yeah. <laughs> what are you sacrificing animals for? It's all been done. Jesus sat down. Is that saying something? Yeah, because he's writing to people who don't know sitting priests. There are no chairs in the tabernacle. There are no chairs later on in the temple. Why? Because the sacrifices were never finished being offered. Uh, oh, boy, I got that all done. Whew, I'm going to just kick back. And, you know, they sit down and kick their feet up, and somebody else comes in the door. Yeah, I got up. Oh, I don't even want to tell you about it. Here's my lamb. They never, it was never done. You could never say, I've sacrificed all the sacrifices I need to sacrifice. Jesus says, it's finished. It's done. Put the knife down. Let the little lamb go away. It's all done. I've taken care of it. I've done it once and for all. And he, he emphasized that. He sat down at the right hand of God where only Jesus sits in, 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 in a place of majesty, the place of authority. It's Done. Sit down. Ta-da! I just think that's incredible. I, I don't know if I'm communicating it, because uh, I don't know if you guys think it's incredible as I think it's incredible. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels. Let's talk about Jesus being made so much better than the angels. Because I know you were driving here this morning, you're thinking, I hope, God, uh, I hope Adam uh, uh, touches down on that God-angel uh, debate. I hope... Uh, he settles where Jesus is in the grand scheme of things. Because I'm not thinking, angels, Jesus, who's better? And I know this is, I'm scratching where you're at you now, right? Because I know that's what you're thinking, right? It was a problem back then, and I'll show you, and it has to be dealt with. Much of the rest of the first uh, chapter, he's going to go over this. He's going to say why Jesus is better than the angels. Because Jewish thought and theology was like, hey, the angels brought us the law. The angels were involved with this. The angels were involved. Jesus is a human being. So we're going to forsake all this angelic stuff and we're going to follow a human being? Think about it. And by the way, yes. I mean, Jesus was a human being and divine. And, and let me say it again because I always want to say it every time I touch down on this. Don't think in terms of Jesus being half God and half man. 50% man, 50% God, you're 100% incorrect. He was 100% God, 100% man, okay? And he still is. When he, the incarnation happened, he put on a body that he's never been, that he's never divested himself of. Now he has a resurrected body. Same genes and chromosomes that Adam had. Think about this. In the center of the universe sits the sovereign, the Father God of all there is, and to his right hand, sits a human being. That just hurts my brain. We have God the Father and God the Son, and God the Son is human. Okay, he's a resurrected human, but he's human. That's the way you should think about it. Uh, and he's so much better than the angels. Why? Well, he's the creator. For now, let's just, we're going to handle verse 4. I won't give you the whole angelic argument, but just understand this. He created the angels. And I love, th think a lot of people think about this. You know, he's going to come back, and there's going to be this big battle. We have Lucifer, and we have the armies of the Antichrist, and we have Jesus, and we have his, and oh, I wonder how it's going to end up. 
Are you serious? Are you for real? Are you seriously going to sit there? And say, I, it makes me laugh. And there are those who think that, you know, they will, they understand they're on Lucifer's side and they think they will overcome. No, you don't overcome God. There's two categories of everything that is. There's two categories, God and not God. There's two categories, creator and created. Okay, and God is only. He's, that's what it means when he says holy. He says, I look here, I look here, no other gods, I'm the only one. And everything is either God or not God. So he's the creator, and he created what? Satan. You say, why? We'll get into that another time. And he created broccoli. I like broccoli, I don't like Satan so much. And Satan has as much chance of thwarting the power of God as does a plate of broccoli. You have to understand. There's not a big, epic contest. Jesus comes and he defeats the Antichrist by the breath of his nostrils. He breathes on him. That's it. Game over. He, he defeats him by the word of God. He speaks his destruction. It's not like, you know, Satan went down fighting, got a few, you know, got Jesus all scratched up and scuffed up, and finally Jesus... No. 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 You're on the winning team, okay? <laughs> you have to understand that. Well, we're coming back. You, you think like... And by the way, on horses... I like that, flying horses. I do. Do I, do I get to keep my horse? I think so. I, I, I think so. I don't know. So I get this, you know, flying horse all through the Millennial Kingdom. They kind of be good. <laughs> this is the way I think, okay? We're all there. We're this huge army. Are we in a battle armor ready for... We're just witnesses. It's not our fight. It's his. And he will overcome. And he will be victorious. He's going to be, you know, in Isaiah 63, we see him stained with blood. It's not his blood. It's the blood of his enemies. He stepped on like so many grapes. He's, he's going to win. It's going to be awesome. He's so much better than the angels. He's obtained inheritance, more excellent name than they. I want you to understand something about angels or anything. Jesus is so much better than angels. Fill in the blank. Jesus is so much better than... I, I, th listen, this is something we can really take with you. Stay with me, okay? Put Jesus in his proper place in your life. You know, I want to be the greatest mom, you say, Who's ever been? I'll tell you how to do it. Put Jesus in his proper place. Everything else takes on the proper definition. If you think angels are the big thing, your life is way out of whack. It's really weird. If you think money's the biggest thing. If you think health, and you're one of these, you know, uh, speak health on everybody, and you're one of these, everything's going to be stilted, twisted, out of whack. I want to be the greatest dad who ever lived. Tell your boys, tell your daughters about Jesus Christ. Be a godly man. You'll, well, I don't think I'll do that because, you know, maybe they won't want to be Christians when they're older. Yeah, I know, I felt the same way. I didn't teach my son English because I thought when he grew up he might want to speak Russian. Okay, you're going to be a great dad. And my kids, if they go to hell, eh, they'll figure it out. Really? No, you put Jesus first in your life and everything else takes on its proper place. Everything else. I want to end up with a story. So I told you, God spoke to me early in the week. 
So I had this funeral, and you know, we went and we prayed and anointed Peter with oil. Me and Tommy were there, and Carl and Bob, and some of his friends that you may or may not know from a different church. And, uh, and, I, and I, I went with the expectation that God was going to heal him. Just telling you, right? God's God. I'm not, I understand his place. He's a sovereign. And miracles don't happen all the time. If they happened all the time, we'd, we'd call it Tuesday. They're miracles because they violate nature. They, they, they don't, they're not the norm. But people say, oh, he's got this, and he's got, and, you know, his, his wife who's a nurse, and she knew all these, and she's telling me, I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know this stuff. I don't really care. I'm just going to tell God, hey, <laughs> he, he's, got, he's got some bad things happening. Fix them, will you? We prayed, and, and I, don't, I don't have to rebuke each little, and I don't think we have to know too much to pray right. God knows everything. So I was praying, and I expected that he'd be healed. I really did. It was my lack of faith, right? Stop it. Stop it. Just, just knock it off. God, who's a sovereign, says, no, for reasons that I don't have to share with you, it's time for Peter to come home. Okay, he's a good God. All wise, all good. Praise his holy name. But I, was, I, got, I got the word, and I was driving down to be with the family, and I was kind of that bitter, like you do, because you do. That's the first thing. You get them, them toxins there, and you got to get them out or something. Like I, I hear some people say some awful things after somebody dies. Um, but I never, I never call them on it. I figure those toxins got to come out, and God's got broad shoulders, and I don't. I, so I, I said, well, I guess that healing thing's gone by the boards now. It's something to that effect. And I didn't say it out loud. I was, poison's coming out. That's all. And that's what God rebuked me. It was a mild rebuke. He didn't call me a heathen or say he hates me or nothing like that. He wouldn't. I felt like the Spirit of God said in my heart, you don't think, you don't believe Peter still has cancer, do you? I said, you know, there's healing and there's healing. Anytime he heals you here, he patches you up. You still age. And everyone Jesus healed in the, in the New Testament, they're dead now, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. I think he reanimated him. I don't think he gave him a resurrected body, he never would have died again. We'd see this 2,000-year-old guy running around looking like he was 30. Where's he hiding? He restored the eyes of the blind. And then people, those eyes eventually closed in death. Peter doesn't have cancer anymore. I think, and that's, that's wonderful, that's a good thing. But God spoke to my heart, and he ministered to me like, you're hurting, son. Well, Think of this. There's nothing like, uh, I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good everything. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. What do you do? Put Jesus number one in your life and everything else will work out. Listen, I had a big week and everyone's just saying like, oh, you had this and you had the funeral and you had the wedding and you had, you know, you were there and you had it. I was feeling phone calls on the way to the wedding, on the way to the funeral the other day and I was yeah, I'm busy. My life, I got two full-time jobs. And he said, well, how do you do it? Look, I'm going to tell you my secret, okay? It's, it's easier than it looks. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you... Oh, you've heard of the verse? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. 
my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Listen, it looks like I, I'm this mountain of strength. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a knucklehead. I am so weak, so, such a drama queen, such a sissy, such a little boy who leans into a Savior and says, God, I need you now. And does he show up and help me? Only always, only always. He never leaves. I said this before. He never leaves me flapping in the breeze. He never leaves me unaided or unabetted. It never happens. He doesn't even know. He doesn't have that in his nature. He, he's the one you, when, when you break down you, and you call your friend at 2 o'clock in the morning to come and help you, that guy... God is more than that guy. He always shows up. He always helps. You don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. He always has what you need. He's enough. Lean in on him. Let him give you the strength. See he, him as higher than Jesus, better than fill in the blank, and then everything else is going to find its proper level. I just t- that's just the way it is. He's, he's so all we need. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I said it. You're all we need. Lord Jesus, thank you for being awesome and awesome in my life, awesome in our lives. Thank you for speaking us to us and getting your word to us all the time. There are some people here, I, I'm sure, who have no idea what I'm talking about. That they would come and they would ask, that we would pray together, that they would have the opportunity for you to speak into their lives as well. I ask it in Jesus' name. Receive this blessing, brothers and sisters. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. It is our desire to get God's Word out to all, so our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses, and if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear I count it all as lost Lead me to the cross where you're